it was always important to me to have people around that could help. I got some great advice from my grandfather and father as a young man that it was very important that I surround myself with people that can make me a better man. The University of Alabama's Ross College of Business is Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories for those people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Jeremy D. Piazza. Jeremy is the CFO of Ford Construction in Birmingham, Alabama, and is a graduate of the Colorado College Business. During our conversation, we talked about his personal journey from graduation all the way to becoming a CFO, as well as some of the struggles he faced along the way. I hope you enjoy part one of our three-part series. Jumping back all the way to when you were a tiny little kid, can you explain yourself? Were you an introvert, extrovert? Who were you like growing up? Because a lot of people go through a transformation, especially when they start coming of age. But what were you like as a kid? As a kid, I was playful. I enjoyed sports and athletics. Uh, I was very active. I would probably describe myself as an introvert. Uh, I could say that, that I had a very small number of very close friends. I wasn't necessarily a very popular kid in the in the school because I didn't have a wide range of friends. I kind of had a small circle. Um, I didn't get in trouble very much. I didn't do a lot of things that, you know, that, that would be considered risky. But I had the occasional mishap along the way and found myself in, in, in many situations where I was being disciplined pretty hard by my parents. But for the most part, I think I was just an average, easygoing relatively quiet kid who had a lot of fun hobbies. So you are a product of Birmingham, Alabama, and you made the choice to go to the University right. of Alabama. What was that choice like for you? Obviously being in state, a lot of people have two choices. We're not going to talk about the other school, but why'd you right. choose Alabama? But for me, it was actually pretty simple. And you compared it to the way young kids today make their choice, I think it would be frowned upon. But for me, I, I came from a family who, who all went to the University of Alabama father and my mother graduated from there, my grandfather, uh, and had aunts and uncles that were at the university. I grew up going to Alabama football. So I had some familiarity with the campus and a little bit of what it would be like to walk around the campus. And as I was nearing the end of my high school uh, career, I had very few options that I really even considered very heavily. And I think familiarity for me was the most comforting piece. So it was a very easy decision. I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I started in engineering, didn't last very long. I couldn't see things three-dimensionally. I had a hard time with the sciences, quickly moved to business after that. But for me, it was just familiarity of the university, the environment there, and just the attraction to be able to, you know, to follow in the footsteps of my father. So we're going to take a little bit of a walk down memory lane. Obviously, the university has changed a lot, and you've been back on campus a couple of times for football games and basketball games and whatnot. But what was your fondest memory of Alabama when you were there for your undergraduate career? My, my fondest memory is really more like memories. I, I uh, created a very uh, in, encouraging and strong uh, connection to some friends that are still my friends today. And, and so the, the memories that we have are the times that we spent hanging out together, enjoying the life that we were living at the time. There was very little conversation about school and schoolwork. It was mostly about life, 
what we wanted to do with our lives, what we were doing with our lives, what we should be doing. And so for me, it was the relationship, friendship that was created during those years. So you graduate from the University of Alabama with a bachelor's of finance, correct? Finance is a very wide open field. Yep. Everyone who goes in there has no clue what they're actually wanting to do until they graduate and find a job. What was that like for you finding out where you wanted to go, but also what you wanted to do? It was very nerve wracking and, and there was a lot of anxiety with it. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in business very early. Uh, and for me, that it seems such a generic and cliche thing to say, but because Anybody in, in any working role is in business, whether they know it or not. But for me, I really wanted to have an influence over, over how businesses were operated, how they functioned. I wanted to support other people's goals and initiatives and strategy around creating wealth and creating something sustainable for themselves. And, and I just felt like, you know, I had something to add, I, you know, I had perspective. I, I certainly felt like I was good with, I think finance was attractive to, to me because I stood it, I stood the math behind much of what I was studying and reading. And I've always been interested in the economy, certainly interested in the U.S. And, you know, felt that those things were interesting enough that I could use them online and hopefully now, one thing people always talk about, and this is something I hold true to this day, is the fact that when you're going through business, no matter what field you're in, no matter what industry you're in, there's always a little point in which you have to do some kind of selling. And that's not going to be necessarily as a salesperson, but selling of yourself, pitching someone of why they should hire you. A little introduction that you did at the beginning of this podcast was your own personal pitch of who you are. When you're graduating college, what that look like for you and how'd you land up in your first job? You're exactly right. You, you don't always realize when you're coming out of school that the, the most important thing you have to learn to do is sell. You, you can have skill, you can have trade, you can have any number of things that you may be really good at, but you have to be able to sell. And the very first thing that you sell is yourself. When you are handing your resume to someone, you're making a pitch that you are worthy of being hired. And that was very difficult for me. I never really saw myself as the kind of person that wants to put a spotlight on myself. I didn't ever feel like I was showy in certain settings, but I had to step out of that, out of my skin and try to learn what I was going to say and how I was going to say it to be able to convince someone to hire me. For me, um, I kept it simple. It was try to be myself explain what I had done up to that point in time. And most of that was about the lessons that I had learned about work and work ethic, the, the jobs that I had as a teenager and what I learned in those roles, even though they were grunt work type jobs, there was lessons to be learned, lessons of doing things that you might not be, that you might not have signed up to get paid to do. It might be a, a willingness and, a, and a, an attitude of saying, I will do this no matter what it takes. And it can be the dirtiest job you might have ever wanted to do, but it didn't matter to me. I wanted to be able to look somebody in the eye and say that I've given them my best work and, and give myself an opportunity to do the next best thing. So when I was graduating from college and I needed to sell myself on a, on a particular role, for me, I had to draw on the lessons of the work ethic, the lessons of relating to people while I was working, 
and try to sell that I have that I have a character set that an employer might want if they were going to put me in the job. So obviously, when you're going to school, you're learning some tools to whatever job industry you're going to go into. Part of some people's choices is to enhance education with a master's degree, which you did obtain from Birmingham, UAB, correct? correct? What was that choice like for you to go back and decide, I'm going to get this advanced degree to add on top of the degree that I already had from Alabama? It wasn't a very difficult decision. I knew that I had one, I knew that I wanted a secondary degree. I was trying to fit it into my life. The, at the time I was nearing graduation at the University of Alabama, I was discerning marriage to the girl that I was dating at the time and who ultimately became my wife. And so I was ready to start. I was ready to start that uh, part of my life, start a family. And yet I also knew that in order to remain competitive in my field, that it was going to be important enough for me to pursue a second degree. It, it, for me, it was a little bit clumsy in the way that it happened. I actually entered graduate school at the University of Alabama seeking a quick route to get a master's degree. I started in the master's finance program, but I entered on conditional status. I, I had just barely the grade point average that I needed in order to qualify for the program. And in the first semester, I struggled with one class in particular. And I, I was required to maintain a certain grade point average in order to remain in the program. And I didn't hit it. And so I came out of school with really one other option, and that was to go to work. And so when I finished that first semester and was able to find work, I knew that I wanted to go back and try again, I knew that I wanted a second chance. And as I continued to chop around for how in the world that I would make that happen, I knew that it executive program was going to be the way to do it. I was going to have to get work experience first, then try to do classes in the evening. And so I waited. I waited a full year for the employer that I was working with. There was a requirement that I be employed for one year or I could be eligible for tuition reimbursement. And I waited that year and then I applied for the MBA program here in Birmingham, University of Alabama, Birmingham. And then I just put my nose to the grind. So for one year, while working, while expecting our first child, I just put the hammer down, went to work and got the MBA after about 12 months of study. So it was a, an easy decision. It was something I wanted to do. It was clumsy in the way that it happened, but it happened that way for a reason. And I think uh, for me at the time, this, so this would have been the mid nineties. Uh, it was difficult to get a job in business in the mid nineties. Compensation levels weren't really that fair coming out of school. You had to have a competitive advantage, and most of that came from a secondary education. And I knew that I needed it if I was going to be competitive. So in that whole competitive process of landing a job, I think nowadays it's even worse because there's so much access so that people can apply across the country and they they don't have to necessarily be there themselves to apply. It's like LinkedIn. I'm going to search anywhere in the United States and just apply to all those companies. There's no discernment process or courting process that's officially there outside of the university setting. So where did you end up landing after that graduate degree concluded for yourself? It was, it was really less complicated than I'd ever imagined it would be. For me, it was the search process was a lot about network. Um, there's a lot of value in the degree. There's a lot of value in the secondary degree, but there is an enormous amount of greater value 
of the network that you've created for yourself before you even begin your career. And so I actually, thankfully, inherited the network of my family. And so a, a lot of the benefit that I got in my start came from the network of my family. My father was running a successful accounting practice at the time. He had connections in business and, and areas of finance, and we leveraged that. And I saw that as a tremendous blessing and was very grateful for his willingness to, to, to help open some doors for me. Um, so the first role that I took, even after I came out of Tuscaloosa, was a connection that my father had. And thankfully, those people did not hire me because my father introduced me. They hired me because they saw something there that was worthy of being hired. I was told that and reminded that over and over again, very thankful that I was because it, it gave me the affirmation that I needed, which was that I earned the opportunity. So after I left Tuscaloosa, I went to work for a regional bank here in Birmingham, Alabama. And even after I finished the degree, I remained with that company for 10 more years. It, but it was through my hard work, the, the enhanced education, I, I believe, had some part in that, that just gave me the ability to move up the ranks within that company. I think that's a phenomenal tale of using the resources that you have available to land you a position that you earn, but also that has opened a door that you then take advantage of and actually seize the opportunity yourself. A lot of people think life is like dominoes. Like you have to do one thing, the next, and just cascades down to the end. I don't think your life felt like, felt like dominoes at all. I think there's a lot of things that are happening concurrently for us. And that balance of work-life is something everyone talks about nowadays. There's a huge emphasis for companies trying to you know, get employees back to the office, trying to get them to have some semblance of work culture that they want them to have a balance in their life. How would you find yourself, obviously, not only not balancing necessarily, but making do with what you had with the opportunities that you were given. Because obviously, like you said, you were going to grad school while working full-time while expecting your first child. Mm -hmm. What was that like? And what was there any tips you have for people that might be balancing something like that? This is the, the lesson of having order in your life, right? That this is about creating order, setting priorities today, learning to discern what is really important first, and adopting a process. And I could never profess that I knew exactly what that looked like at that young age, 22, 23 years old. But I had some understanding of it because of the way that I was brought up, how to prioritize the important things in life. And for me, it was God first, family second. And within family, there are subparts. There's shell, there's kids. And then from there, it goes down to career. So we're talking probably third or fourth or even fifth list, depending on what all is happening. And having balance with that much to work with is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to do. But it, for me, I think it's about planning. It's about uh, knowing a little bit or having some remnants of what's in front of you at all times in order to give you the best opportunities to succeed, whether that is making time for your faith, making time for your wife, making time for your children, you have to plan. We do get a lot of, of reminders during the day to stay focused on where you are, be where you are. And that's a very important, that's very important advice and very good life lesson. But for me, it was, it is either equally important or more important. I'm looking ahead. 
and planning ahead. And so having that skill set, or at least trying to enhance that skill set, was what gave me the ability to have balance. And I wouldn't tell you it was perfect. Um, I can tell you that I struggled a little bit. Michelle and I would look at each other in passing as we were making it through the day and wondering if we were going to see each other before the before we went to bed at night. So we had to make time for each other. And the same would be for projects that I was taking on at work. If there was a big project at work, it had to take precedent. If there was a deadline and I'd have to plan ahead, I would not wait until the last minute to get something done, plan ahead and pace myself. And I think that's something you're talking about a lot there is that idea of planning, spacing on your time. Obviously, don't procrastinate. That's something right. that every student struggles with. One thing you can never plan for in business is a recession. And I think that is something that, especially in the finance world, you're very keenly aware of is how a recession may affect a company, not only internally, but also externally, maybe with clients, contracts, things of that sort. In your first job, you went through the first of two major recessions that you witnessed, and that was the dot-com bubble, if that's correct. What was that like for you, especially in the banking industry, having to go through this very murky time where people didn't know what actually valued a company and how did you find yourself working through that? I was serving clients. I was serving the local uh, bank at the time uh, in a very, you know, micro type responsibility. So I wasn't necessarily as in tuned to how to plan for a recession like that. I, I was almost playing a reactive role at the time and listening to my leadership and giving them and, and looking for them for advice on how to operate during the day. And you're right in that, that there is, it is very difficult to plan for. Um, during those years, it was mostly about, I, there, there were a lot of things in business I'd never seen before. Everything was new. Uh, no matter what I was confronted with, it was new to me. So entering into business in that first decade of my career was mostly about just, you know, wallowing or absorbing or just confronting every first opportunity as, as in the same way as any opportunity, right? It's just trying to understand what was in front of you, trying to assess what the client needed and wanted, learning to discern what we could offer as a company and could we solve a problem or create a solution for the client and then working our hardest to do that. And so not really a great answer to your question, but it wasn't until much later in my career that I've really learned how to navigate a recession and the role that I am in today where I'm, you know, fully responsible for all the, the financial and, and treasury component of our business. Um, those, that's where I learned how to navigate a recession. And what I can tell you about that is that um, you can plan for it. They are, they're all different. They have all been different. You can study them all in the history books and and economic history books about what made each one of them uniquely different, but you can plan and planning for them actually start years and years before they actually occur. And a lot of it is just understanding the, the flexibility of your own balance sheet, the, the areas of your operation that you can edit or you can amend or you can change in order to make yourself ready for a change in business set. So that's a little bit of a teaser to one of the questions I have coming up here, but yeah. I want to take a step back from professional Jeremy. Right. I want to go into more of a personal role with you. 
during the middle of 2000s, obviously your children are all running around the house trying to make you go crazy after work. Everyone says that they have a close group of people that they talk to, especially talking about decisions, life, professional, all those things. I consider this sort of a, a board of advisors, if you may oh, yeah. call it that. Oh, yeah. Everyone develops it in a different way. It can be throughout school, can be throughout professional careers. What was that like for you, not only finding mentors, but finding those people that you could actually confide in one, but also two, trust in their decision making? It's a very important part of life. And I learned that very early on. And I wasn't aware of, of how important it was until later in life. But I would tell you that I was all, it was always important to me to have people around that could help. I got some great advice from my grandfather and father as a young man that it was very important that I surround myself with people that can make me a better man, whether it is the person that I am or the profession. And some of those things are really the same. So I, I leaned on uh, the wisdom of older men, uh, predominantly my grandfather and my father at, in my early career for advice. And I also had started to enhance the relationships that I had established in high school and college with a small group of friends that really were my influence. And yes, I would go to them for questions. I'd go to them for advice, not only about business, but even mostly about marriage, about being a father. The, the network that you create for yourself uh, to, 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 you know, prove the way you live is the most important thing you can do for yourself. And it was the most important thing I did. Mm. I think that's key. You just find those people not only that know you from the beginning, but also you truthfully can be yourself with them. I think that's something that in today's day and age, everyone wants to fix it till they make it. It's not going to get you anywhere but in the door. You need to really prove yourself once you get your foot in the door and land that position, like you said, once you get that job. During a professional trajectory of anyone, you interact with thousands of people, no matter if they're clients, if they're coworkers, if they're leadership, everyone touches you in a different way when it comes to influencing you throughout your career. One of the biggest things that people find nowadays is that the role they might find themselves in the beginning is the way to open up a door to the next step in their professional career. And that's where I lead to the question of what was that transition like for you going from the regional bank to now in your position now? And how did that work out for you? Because obviously it's not something you can say, hey, I'm going to jump ship. It's like, a, hey, this opportunity is there. Should I do it? Should I not do it? It's all about relationships. And so I think about relationships that I was creating during the time period before my transition, my role today, it was a friendship. Um, the company that I work for today was a client of the bank at the time. The man that was running the company was on the board of advisors at the bank I was working for. And I was in front of that group on a regular occasion, either making a presentation or, or sitting on committees that, that it gave me some face time and it was through that, that, that part of my work and my role that I established new relationships, created new relationships. And so I became a, a trusted friend of the man that was running the company that I'm working for today. And it was, it, he thought of, it was that simple when he had his CFO at the time was nearing retirement age, he was looking for a, a transition plan for that man. It was, he thought of. And so how, how do you explain that? It, it, you can't, you, as much as I describe wanting to plan, I didn't plan. 
and I didn't go looking. And I have to believe that the reason that he thought of me was because I was doing the things that I was taught to do by my mentors, my father and my grandfather, and all aspects of my life to just work or, you know, help people and create relationships. And those are the things that benefited me. Yes, the education is important. Yes, the, the result of the work that you do in the role that you have is important, but it's it's how you take those tangible things and create intangible things is the relationship. That's Jeremy DiPiazza, CFO of Hork Construction. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at callbrows.ua.edu learn more about the Colorado College business and what it has to offer. And as always, rolls eyed.